We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with Jasmine. the ever oh, Yes. <laughs> now you can say your name. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Sorry about that. Jasmine Allnut. I'll chime um, in We're now. continuing the story of Marie Monson. Yes. And we are enjoying this. Lady. And so, so far you have seen that she went to China. And when mm-hmm. she went to China, um, she got malaria. She fell down a, a staircase, an iron staircase. Gnarly. Things were not going well. And then she heard about a... a a revival in Korea, and wanted to go there. But the Lord promised her, you stay here, and I'll do mm. the same. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think about that time was when she heard that uh, other Chinese woman through the thin paper walls uh, in the room next yes. door begin to pray and ask God for astronomical things. And then she was a bystander as she watched God answer this woman's prayer. Yeah. And she began to pray about everything. Yes. So now I we're that. back in China and the Lord's using her for revivals. Yes. And, and so, people are confessing yep. their sins when she speaks. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. She was kind of like what Cheryl said at the end of the last episode. She had open eyes now. Yes. Open eyes to see where before she had said, I'm an unbelieving believer. Like mm-hmm. she just didn't, you know, really have a lot of faith in her prayer when, when she prayed. And isn't and that she so does. convicting? I mean, don't yeah, we want to totally see God, God work? We need to be believing believers. Absolutely. Amen. I love that. Exactly. I was really challenged just re- rereading her story. I hadn't looked at her in years and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how amazing. So, um, yes. So, right. From Chifu, where that revival began, right? The Shentung revival, as it came to be known. Uh, Marie was invited to come by boat to minister among some Chinese churches in Huangxin. Huangxin? <laughs> I don't know. And the Lord um, providentially really provided a space on a ship that was totally full. The second mate said, you can have my cabin. And she really believed like, okay, that's an answer to prayer because I did not know how I was going to get there otherwise. And so she's like, okay, this cabin is from the Lord. That's going to be important. So before she left, the day before she left, the Lord really impressed a couple things on her heart that she needed to do. Um, he he told her, um, I want you to deposit all your money that you don't need for the journey here at the bank. And so she's like, okay. So she deposited all her money. And then God kept putting on her heart that she needed to buy apples. She's like, okay, this is so weird. And it wouldn't go away. It was like for hours, she kept thinking about these apples. Um, and this was just a short overnight journey. So she thought that was kind of silly. She's like, well, Lord, I don't need apples. I'm going to be there tomorrow. It's a very quick trip. It's not a big deal. Um, but she's like, okay, fine. Maybe it's for somebody in need on the other side. Maybe there's some poor person who really needs apples. And so she went and bought three pounds of apples in the market. Um, and then she also brought with her um, a sweater and some socks and four boxes of chocolates that she had received as Christmas presents from Norway. She didn't really want to bring all of these things. In fact, she was really annoyed about the sweater and socks because she thought, gosh, this is just extra weight. But I don't know what else to do. I have to take this stuff, I guess. Um, So uh, then she, you know, boards the ship. I think they were going to leave that evening. So she gets all of these things together, boards the ship, and, you know, she's passing out tracts, talking to all the other passengers before going to her cabin. That actually is kind of important as well. Um, and then she went to her cabin from the second mate, which we would think, oh, that must have been one of the nicer cabins. But one of the one of the missionaries said it was the size of a piano case. They're like, this is barely a cabin, Marie. This doesn't even deserve the name cabin. So it's this tiny little room. <laughs> so the boat sets off that evening. And lo and behold, shortly after they depart, pirates take over the ship. 
And so Marie hears them shooting and yelling outside. There's just pandemonium and chaos going on all around her. And as she's hearing this, she also hears a voice speak to her and say, this is the trial of your faith. And when she heard that word from the Lord, she was actually filled with peace and joy. Like, okay, this is ordained by God. There's a plan in this. And so the pirates, uh, they're, you know, forcing all of the passengers out. And then they ended up with the pirates took their you know, the rooms of the other passengers and shoved the rest of them down in the hold. And they tried to do the same thing with Marie. They tried to force her to leave her cabin, but she refused because God had given her that cabin. So she said, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm not leaving. So she just stayed there. She prayed. And a lot of times they would just come open the door and say, everybody out. And so she would just stand there and they wouldn't come back and check. (laughs) Um, But one pirate actually came in and pointed a gun at her and threatened to shoot. And I mean, it's just amazing, her boldness. She said, my God says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You cannot use your pistol whenever you like and shoot me. You must have special permission from the living God to do that. And incredibly, he left her alone because she just kept saying that, like, you have to have permission. Sorry. And so it was just crazy. He never actually fired a shot. So uh, Marie basically was in the custody of the pirates for a month. Um, it's crazy, but she realized that's why God told her, well, first to deposit her money right before the trip. So there was really nothing for them to steal and to buy the apples, right? She ended up living off the apples and the chocolates for nine days. And then the rest of the time, another 16 days or so, the second mate of the ship actually began to smuggle in boiled eggs and cakes for her. And that's not much, a couple boiled eggs a day. I mean, after she'd been living off apples and chocolate, you know, for nine days before that. And so she kind of just had to pray that God would make the rations enough to sustain her. And she said it was just miraculous. After every meal, quote unquote meal, she was totally full as if, you know, she'd eat one egg for dinner and be like, man, I don't think I can eat another bite. Just amazing. Uh, Plus the fact that they were on the ship, like out on the water this whole time, Uh, meant that they were facing some cold spells. And so the sweater and the socks ended up being a godsend. You know, the thing, the very things that she thought were a hassle to bring or that were silly, like, I don't even need this. The Lord knew on the stormy seas that she was going to need these things. And so um, Marie took every opportunity, of course, uh, to share the gospel with the pirates. Often uh, she saw uh, tears in their eyes. One time she heard a, a guy quoting the scriptures that she had shared with him. I mean, just really remarkable things. There was one story about uh, these two pirates. She could see them outside her room talking and looking at her room with kind of, you know, just yucky smiles. So you kind of know what they're thinking. And one of them came into her room and she said he was the most revolting one that she had encountered. But for whatever reason, the, again, the Lord gave her peace and gave her clarity of mind to just uh, start start the conversation with him and and say, so uh, how old's your mother? Or who, who's your mother? How old is she? Of all the random things to start with. Turns out that she was the same age as his mom in her early 50s. And so then she just started talking to him like, you sure this is what you should do with your life? And he had heard the gospel before. He actually knew a missionary who was like the nicest man he'd ever met. All of this stuff. And the guy just broke down in tears and had to leave the room because, I mean, yeah, the Lord just gave her incredible presence of mind to look at him as a person in that moment. And the power of the Spirit. It totally is. You know, I think when Jesus said, you know, don't take thought about what you're going to say because in that hour it will be given to you by the Spirit. Wow. what That's an amazing example. That's great. Isn't it it. though? Yes. Crazy. So uh, after 27 days, the ship was finally freed by the Chinese Navy. Um, And it's cool because remember at the beginning of the voyage, before they took off, Marie had been out passing tracts out to the other passengers. So they all knew she was a Christian. 
And so after the after they all got freed, the other passengers all came to her asking for more tracts and saying, we have seen that your God is the true God and we want to believe in him, too, because of all that had happened, how they had seen God protected her in a unique, unusual way that the other passengers hadn't experienced. And so and that's when she wrote the book. She wrote the book. What? How many months after? Yes, because, yeah, you're right, because I read in here that uh, this other what was the one that you said? Oh, gosh, it was something about something escape. Deli- escape. Yes, something. I think it escape. Oh, <laughs> we have escaped. Yes. So that again, story, she's Norwegian. She wrote these books in uh, Chinese and they were translated oh by gosh. a woman named Joy Guinness. Oh, I love it. That's so great. So that's how we have them in English. Yes. And she actually said in this in a present help, she talks about how they ended up getting circulated. Uh, the story ended up circulating in multiple languages. After that, they yeah. started just translating it. In I wonder if bunch. Joy Guinness is related to the famous Guinness family in England. I, I think maybe so. I think so, too. The, yep. That, those, they need to be covered. That's another one my mom actually mentioned. Like, you have to do the Guinnesses. Yes. <laughs> um, so actually, this did become the most well-known of Marie's adventures of faith. And uh, like, you know, we both said the story was translated. It was published. Uh, ultimately, after all of this, Marie did finally get to Huangxin, where the revival continued to spread. Um And just getting back to that revival aspect, one of the keys to this revival was Marie's emphasis on being truly saved according to the gospel, you know, clearly presenting, you know, that it, you know, it's by faith in Christ's atonement for your sin. It's not just this vague, I believe in Jesus thing, because apparently a lot of Chinese thought that was sufficient. Oh, I believe. It's like, well, yeah, but do you know what that means? Do you know what the gospel really is about? And so she actually was known for going all over China, just asking that simple question, have you been born again? And that's kind of what Cheryl was mentioning earlier, because she would find that it wasn't just, you know, some of the Chinese people that needed this. There were pastors, leaders and missionaries that realized they weren't truly saved. Kind of reminds me of John Wesley a little bit. You know, sometimes these people, they could be good religious people and I want to do things for God, but they've never actually been born again. And so... This was so essential. And we think we just take that for granted sometimes. Oh, that's a no brainer, but it's huge. And so that became a major key to the revival, like the true born again experience. I've really personally received Jesus as my savior and he's forgiven me of my sins. Um, Another key to the revival, as I've kind of alluded to already, was the confession and forgiveness of sin, because so many times during prayer meetings, the Holy Spirit would fall on people and they would suddenly be convicted about these things. And they would immediately go get right with God. They'd leave, leave the prayer meeting to go pray, get right with God. Or they would pull other people aside, as we saw happen in Chifu, to, you know, just apologize, to reconcile, to deal with wrongs that were done and bitterness. And so God was more free to move because people were dealing with these, you know, difficult sins and issues. Uh, And it's neat because, for instance, uh, there is one story Marie tells about Uh, She was ministering at a school for the blind in Peking. Like I said, she went all over the place. And she uh, was teaching the word and the importance of being born again. And, of course, the Lord began to move. And one of the students uh, got up and confessed that he was a kleptomaniac. And he had basically been stealing from just about everyone at the school, not because he needed their stuff. He just enjoyed stealing from them. (laughs) But after he repented and got saved, the Lord delivered him. And he never wanted to do that again. Um, So he was one of the early you know, people affected by the by this, you know, kind of revival. And then other students uh, at the school were actually antagonistic toward Marie. They didn't like her. When she gave a Bible study at their chapel service, they made fun of her. I heard that made some fun ran of the scriptures. Out. 
that mm-hmm. some even ran out of the room saying oh, wow. her words are too powerful. I don't like them. Make her stop. Wow. The conviction. Yep. I love it. And and uh, it's interesting. One of the ringleaders of all of this, who was kind of heckling her and getting all the other students worked up, was a student that they nicknamed the scorner. I guess a lot of people called him that just generally. And so after that, Marie was so discouraged. She hadn't experienced anything quite like that, especially from all these young kids. It was like, gosh, why do they hate me? (laughs) But as she was praying and asking the Lord what to do, the Lord said to her, do you have any intercessors, Marie? And so she said, okay, I'm going to contact people to intercede. So she contacted several missionary friends, also told the school leadership what had happened at the meeting and really urged them to pray. And sure enough, by the next day's meeting, the whole group of students was totally respectful, quiet, listening intently. It reminds me, isn't there a story about D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody, same thing, right, when he spoke at Cambridge. Yes, and they're just, yeah, heckling him and everything, and then the Lord moved. And you know what's interesting about that is D.L. Moody said, get me all the mothers. Oh, yes, that's right. All the Christian mothers, because God listens to the prayer of mothers. And exactly (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) Next day, everyone was pacified. So cool. I love it. So uh, the day after that, on the third day, uh, the scorner stood up and he confessed and said, you call me the scorner and not without cause because the name suits me, but God has summoned me to his judgment seat and I need to make a clean breast of everything. And so he began to address each student by name and confess how he had wronged them. And then suddenly these students all got up and gathered around him to forgive him. They all started laying, you know, the ones that were saved, they're laying hands on him, praying over him. And so he got saved that very hour. So, I mean, the stories like this just go on and on as the revival spread. And uh, like I said, Marie ministered everywhere from Hainan, which was her base, to Shanxi, to Manchuria, uh, to Shantung, which is where Chifu was. That's where the revival began. That's why it was called the Shantung Revival. Um, and as prayers uh, groups sprang up, ministries, believers were renewed, souls were being saved. One missionary named Mary Crawford actually wrote in 1933 a book called The Revival in Shantung, and she said, It is absolutely impossible for human tongue to describe the new and wonderful fellowship into which we've entered. Souls are continually being added to the church. Lives have been transformed. Opium is broken off. Idols are put away. Enmities that have lasted for years have been put right. Hopeless individuals have become humble men and women of prayer and soul winners. These are remarkable. I mean, this is like Book of Acts stuff, you know, when they all burned their magic books, you know, the fact that people would be giving up their opium. I mean, that was such a powerful addiction. Really powerful. There's another book, um, Pastor She, that is excellent. Mm. And he worked with Hudson Taylor. And again, the same thing. Um, He had been an opium addict. Himself. Yes. Wow. And he got saved and he opened up all these. They would have been what? like what we would call rehab, but they Mm -hmm. totally all over China to get the people off of the opium and uh, to receive Jesus. So he's a contemporary of Marie Monson. Oh, I love it. There's a man worth knowing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So um, significantly, uh, Mary Crawford also pointed out concerning Marie Monson's prayer meetings that sparked the revival. And I love this. And this, again, goes back to just her unassuming ways. There was nothing sensational or emotional in the meetings, just a definite confidence in the promises of God and particular reliance on John 16, 8. When he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Letting the Lord do the work. I love it. And in fact, it's it, again, it's worth noting again that Marie was very conservative and unassuming. She wasn't dramatic or sensational at all. Um, and Crawford said, Miss M herself is one of the quietest speakers I've ever heard. I think you mentioned that yep, before. I've heard that. You could, like yep. lean in to hear her. Yes. But anyone with any discernment at all could see and feel that she was depending on the promises of God in a remarkable way. 
in fact, there was another missionary who was really skeptical uh, when when uh, he heard that, oh, revival's happening, and he was thinking, uh-oh, this is probably sensational and that kind of a thing. So he went cautiously to observe Marie and her meetings, and then later he said, Miss Monson herself is, here it is again, one of the quietest speakers I've ever heard. <laughs> there was Clearly she needed a microphone, I don't know. Um, there was very poor singing and no invitation for public decisions, only the quiet question, have you been born again? Were it not for a wonderful spirit of prayer and an occasional testimony, no unknowing visitor would have be believed that we were in the midst of a revival. Because again, it was just the quiet, gentle work of the Holy Spirit, just convicting and moving in people's lives. So cool. Um, another biographer actually pointed out that Marie, kind of to your point earlier, was really careful not to manipulate and pressure people. She said, we don't want to pick unripe fruit you know, because we're forcing it off the tree. It has to be a true work of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that this is going to be effective. Um, and so again, just that unassuming, sweet nature, never drawing attention to herself, but letting God be free to move. Uh, one person said, and this is, I think, my favorite uh, description of Marie. She understood her littleness. Mm. I just think, man, I want that to be said of my life. Isn't that the truth? Wow. Oh, my goodness. How, how, how different we would be if yes. we just understood we're little, he's big. Yes. Amen. Amen. Because she knew it had to be a work of had the Spirit to be God. of God. I can't do this. And, you know, I, this isn't me. <laughs> it's him working through his word. And she did have that emphasis as well, that partnership with the word and the spirit through prayer. Um Ultimately, the results of the revival were, like I said, remarkable. Um, Dr. Karlberg, who was a seminary professor in the Hupe province, he pointed out uh, some of the really important results. And I thought this was neat, too, because it shows it was just a genuine work of God. It was a lasting work. He said that, uh, for one thing, there was a greater emphasis on the Bible among the Chinese believers. Um, and so that's huge. That's, you know, they're that's a great fruit right <laughs> having there. Having a solid foundation. Yes. And remember, like I said, she's known as uh, kind of the mother of the house churches. She was like with the Bible women a lot, those Chinese Bible women. That was a big emphasis of her ministry. Um, dependence on prayer in preaching preparation. That was another fruit. That's kind of important, too, <laughs> that we pray as we're preparing these messages. I give it a 10 out of 10. Yes. In importance. Yes, yes. exactly. And then, as we've seen, overwhelming conviction, but also victory over sin. And that was neat, too. People weren't just left there, like, drowning in, uh, you know, condemnation over their sin. They were convicted, they confessed, and then they would walk forward in victory. Now, I heard, and I think you're going to talk about this, but she would walk up to some of the pastors or other missionaries and say, are you born again? Yeah, she even did it to them. So, <laughs> such a simple question, mm -hmm. but because they weren't acting like it. Mm. And she began to be really grieved. And so when she was grieved over the way they were acting, she began to pray. Love it. And, and what did the Lord direct her? Just this very simple question. Man, and, and look how the results. I mean, yeah, again, things that we would just take for granted. Like, or think, of course. Yeah, or or think too simplistic. Yeah, or I too mean, simplistic. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, that can't be right, right, the thing you need to ask. But it was exactly what was needed. I love that. Um, also, they've—in— uh, as far as results were concerned from the revival, there was uh, an emergence of more um, Chinese people becoming spiritual leaders instead of just the missionaries doing the work. The Chinese people were owning it. They were taking it on. And so the missionaries could move on to other places. That was huge. And that's kind of, you know, I think the goal of a lot of missionaries is to raise up the people to own it yes. so you can step back. I also read, too, um, this is just a little story I wanted to throw in there. Please. that um, She was trying to convince a soldier to get saved. 
And so she's trying to remember all the apologetics and scientific <laughs> arguments and everything. And she just realized she couldn't. And he was mm. very intellectual. Mm. And so she just began to very simply tell him the story of Jesus. And that broke him. And he received the Lord. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, Marie, you don't need Mm. apologetics. You just need my word. You just need to say it as it is. And that was also uh, kind of a catalyst in her life. Like, I'm just going to do the simplicity of the gospel. Mm, I love that. And are you born again? Are you born again? Keep it really simple. Well, doesn't Paul talk about that, right? Didn't didn't he warn, was it the Corinthians when he said, um, you've left the simplicity that is in Christ? Like, he was worried about them forgetting that it's mm-hmm. really simple. That's so cool. There was also an emergence of uh, more distinctively Chinese worship. That's pretty cool. So mm-hmm. people, the Chinese people started writing their own worship mm. music. That's kind of a fun byproduct. That's definitely the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, also, and that's where she broke with the Lutheran Church, too. Oh. She really <laughs> believed in the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And she believed that you could go deeper into the Lord um, besides just being born again, mm. but that there was a filling of the Spirit, and that's what she felt like she had received and experienced. Mm. And that was a big break from the Lutherans. Oh, right. Yeah, they were very formal. <laughs> right, formalized, too. Yeah. Sadly, at that mm-hmm. point especially, this has been quite mm-hmm. a few hundred years since the Reformation. So, yeah. Um, so also, uh, again, the Chinese were uh, owning the ministry and the churches. They became more self-supporting. I mean, it was just really remarkable. And significantly— uh, you know, in terms of just the list of results or fruit, I, let's not say results, fruit of this revival. He also points out that uh, while there were instances of healing and, you know, just some remarkable miracles and things like that, he said foremost had been the many and greater miracles of salvation. And so I like that, too, because it all should point back to salvation as the most important thing. It never became about the sensational, you know, aspects right. of the revival. And so, again, to think that so much of this was— this work that God did began with a soft-spoken, quiet, unassuming little Norwegian lady. Um, And yet, yeah, that's what the Lord did. And so this is interesting. Um, Just kind of wrapping up here in 1932, right in the midst of the, this was still when the revival was going on. Marie suddenly felt called to go home to Norway to take care of her mother. And so I thought that was really interesting. You know, the revival's still happening. She's just caught up in the wave of what the Lord is doing. But surprisingly, she felt like she needed to go. And a lot of people were really shocked by this decision to leave because it was clear God is still moving here. You know, God's using you in a mighty way. Why would you want to leave? But they knew she had sought the Lord. And so they kind of just said, well, we we know you pray, Marie. And so if you feel like God wants you to go, then go. And so uh, I, I kind of like that because it goes to show she didn't think this depended on her. Mm-hmm. This revival was not about her. She's mm-hmm. like, Lord's doing it. It's not me. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> yeah. So it's just neat. And so she did. She went back home to Norway and pretty much just lived a quiet life for the rest of her days. She died in 1962 at the age of 84. Now, wasn't it when she went back to um, Nor- Norway, though, that she began to look at her journals and begin to um, you mm. know, put together like a present help? And I think she's—I know that there's two. There's a present help and then there's a sequel. Okay. And I can't remember Shoot. what the sequel is. I know. I should have looked this up. It's 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 hard to find, like, tons of stuff on her. Uh, the book I got a lot of, like, biographical information from was Women of Awakenings by Lewis and Betty Drummond. I've used that one before uh, because it has a, a bunch of women that were important in revivals. You know, every book that I got on Marie Monson, I actually got from your mother. And ah. she sent me— the, the two books, like the um, 
what was the one you mentioned before? <laughs> oh, not not just the one. We have escaped. That was like her yes. first, and she wrote that in China. But a present help, and then the other one. Um, mm. I actually have it at my house. Mm. Um, was it about the revival? No, it was more of the same. It was okay. taken from her journal, and it was more like it start with the scripture, and then how the Lord had. Um, oh, that's neat. Answered prayers and yes, yeah. Okay, yeah, because um, the I think a lot of the revival information here comes from other people that were part yeah. of it. Okay, so she also wrote the awakening in uh, revival in China. Oh, she did do some. Okay, mm-hmm. so but that's not that. the. There's another one that again, your mother was so amazing when she worked at um, Book Aid, Book Aid in England, mm-hmm. and she would send us. She's the one who sent us a uh, present help. Right. And said, I think you, and I love that book so much that I said, could we publish this? Because mm. nobody, there, you couldn't buy a copy of it. Yeah, that's the it. other thing, right? They're out of print, some of these. Right. Well, they actually reprinted A Present Help. It's available on yeah. Amazon. Good. And we did too, so. Right. Hey, <laughs> but um, it's interesting. Yeah, man. And so there's a second one too. I love sorry, it. I don't know. No, but that's, I mean, so that was her, you know, contribution. And I love that. So now she had the time. She was in Norway with her mom and that's when she recorded all of this stuff. So I just, I And just these books her. are continuing to share the fruit of just prayer and the simplicity, which is mm, good too. Yeah, absolutely. To, to have those books. You know, sometimes we think the great work is the revival and sometimes the great work is the journal. Yes, right? Because it's going to be passed down to future generations, right? And just even considering the the, the fruit that was from this revival, because you could tell it's the work of the Lord because it all pointed back to him. It never pointed to a person or, you know, like a group, like, like, oh, look at these people. Like, you know, again, Marie even left in the middle of the whole thing. (laughs) And so the fact that it just was so clearly um, pointing everything back to the Lord and raising up and helping establish uh, the Chinese church, you know, this was significant. This is right before the communists took over China, you know. And so, I mean, there's already communist activity was brewing. And so, you know, the fact that this happened at this time for such a time as this. It was really um, key. It was really, uh, again, a, a work of God's timing and his spirit, um, as we've said. Prior to this, again, in those early years, um, you know, we often think of the time of Hudson Taylor and everything and like, wow, all these amazing things were happening in China. How could the church have gotten dead? Well, you have to remember again that the Boxer Rebellion had happened. And that really shook a lot of people. That was really hard to recover from. Not only that, but the, the boxers really sowed those seeds of suspicion in a lot of people towards foreigners. And so there was, that's why the ground was hard. Yeah. And it was time for revival. But the Westerners had been, yes, you know, um, wrong. I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. you know, England was the trying British, to colonize opium, everyone. Yep. And they introduced, what from what I heard, they introduced opium. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. To China. Yeah, and they weakened. And then what yeah. happened is the Chinese people realized they weren't making money farming. Yeah. I mean, during that time, too, when the empress ruled, people were so poor in China that they didn't even have clothes, so they would put mud on their bodies. Oh, that's so sad. To look oh like they were gosh. wearing clothes. So you can understand all this unrest was Absolutely. already brewing. Absolutely. Know? And so, I mean, thank God he, you know, did this work probably when people would have least expected it. But it also shows, you see there, the fact that all those missionaries came together, and Marie's really quick to point that out that other people were praying too. It wasn't just her. I prayed. It was always like, oh, these other believers were praying over here and this was happening here. But there was that sense of urgency and desperation, like, Lord, we need a work of your Holy Spirit. And so I, I just love that. The Lord, the Lord heard and moved. And I think that's really what makes a woman worth knowing. Yeah. 
it's really about the prayer. As I study the Bible, the outstanding people, like even Elijah, you know, uh, James said he was a man of like passions, but he had this, he prayed. Mm, I love it. And when he prayed, the Lord worked. And so with Marie Monson, what made her outstanding, like we said, she's Norwegian. If you see her picture, which you can go on the internet and look, she's very um, plain. Yeah. And, you know, again, never married, went back, but the difference with her is she prayed and she stood on the promises of God Mm -hmm. and God protected her that entire time in China Mm -hmm. and led her. She was a woman who was always being led by the spirit. Actually, when she went back to Sweden, uh, she, she sought to uh, bring the church out of its lukewarm. I'm sorry, back to Norway. She sought to bring the church out of its lukewarm state. Oh, I love it. I love it. She never finished (laughs) wherever she went. Woman of revival. That's right. That's why Marie Monson is a woman worth knowing. She absolutely is. And again, we want to hear from you. Please let us know um, that you're enjoying this because we Mm -hmm. certainly are enjoying bringing these stories and these women. Mm -hmm. They become our friends. They sure do. And we want to introduce you to our friends and and (laughs) the women that have inspired and blessed us. Like we were both talking about how Marie Monson has really inspired us. Mm -hmm. And especially the book, um, A Present Help. It's just so simple, so sweet, but it's so yeah. inspiring. Yes, absolutely. It just makes you want to pray. <laughs> totally. So until next time, remember, you can get in touch with us at Gracious Words and go to the graciouswords.com. Go to the link WWK, Women Worth Knowing. And mm-hmm. we'd love to hear from you. This Please. is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine saying thanks for joining us once again. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.